High FM Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose. Stephen Ambrose. Good morning and welcome to the first Tech Talk of 2018. I actually cannot believe that we are sitting in 2018. It feels like yesterday we were sitting in 2010, never mind anything else. So crazy, crazy beginning of the new year. Um, I was fortunate enough to attend the show in Las Vegas, the CES. They don't want to call it Consumer Electronic Show anymore. In fact, it is hardly a Consumer Electronic Show. It's a startup show. It's a maker show. It's a car show. It's a tech show. It's you name it. It's there. I mean, it was without question one of the largest I've ever been to, one of the craziest I've ever been to. And the good thing is that it appears that America, never mind, and this is not getting political, but never mind what Trump's been up to, uh, never mind what else is going on. The simple fact is the economy of the West seems to be firmly on the mend. I was in Berlin in August, September last year, and things were really hopping at that particular show. Obviously, the audio and tech industry is humming along really nicely, and it was no clearer than what we saw at Las Vegas. But we'll get on to that in a little while. In fact, this is going to be a bit of a Vegas baby show. Um, report back on all the new gadgets, gizmos, tech trends, you name it, that I saw there from all the big companies. I mean, there's actually far more than I could ever cover in in under an hour. But what I'm going to try to do is just pick some of the highlights, some of the things that I believe are going to stand out for the next couple of years, or certainly for the next year. But um, interestingly enough, more than ever, I, I had, you know, in the previous CESs that I've been to, Around about 50-60% of the stuff you see on the floor, I mean, you arrive at this beautiful stand, lovely presented, professional brochures, product that looks real and and absolutely looks like it should be on a showroom uh, floor, and yet it is a prototype. It's something that has been created specifically for CES, and uh, unless they get big orders from some of the big retailers, it never hits the street. So when you ask them, so when is this going to be available? They all say to you, well, uh, in, the, in the spring. Well, in the spring in America means April, May sometime, and that translated very simply means um, if we don't get huge orders at this show, which is what it's all about, uh, we may never produce this product. And if we do get the orders, it will be in the shelves around about April, May. But there was this year, I must say, I would say probably 80% of the product that I saw or the the things that I saw uh, would probably land up never hitting the market, but it still gives you a huge, huge sort of insight into where tech's going, what's happening. Um, the amount of car manufacturers that were there was pretty insane. Uh, doing and and interestingly, because the Detroit Motor Show I think is this week in the U.S., where they show off all their new models and new product, there was none of that at CES. It was all future thinking. All future models, all electric, all concepts, all the the transport of the future. In fact, the keynote from the Ford CEO specifically spoke about the collaboration of future transport. It had nothing to do specifically about Ford models, which is pretty appropriate for a forward-thinking sort of tech-type environment like CES. But before we get onto that and uh, I get down into the nitty-gritty of some of the gizmos and gadgets and trends that I saw, some interesting news uh, this week. We look like we're going to have, apart from all the 
happenings over Christmas and over the Christmas period um, in the political sphere, which certainly helped a lot when I was in Las Vegas. The rent improved no end, um, so I could afford a McDonald's uh, and the odd meal other than uh, before when at 15 or 16 to 1 it was hard to eat in the U.S. But there is no question that we are going to see a big jump in South Africa uh, with regard to banking. It's been quite interesting. There are in the next couple of, well this year there's probably going to be four brand new banks in South Africa which is quite interesting because up to now the banking environment has been pretty static. My question to all these guys is would how are people going to change? Most people are locked into their banks. They've got loans, uh, home loans, they've got car loans, they've got credit cards. It's not that easy to switch from one bank to another. It's certainly not something you'll do just because they're offering you a couple of rand less a month in fees. So I think they, these new banks have got um, a long, hard road ahead of them. But it's being brought by some really interesting people. The latest entrant is something called Bank Zero. <clears throat> which is brought to us by Michael Jordan. And for those of you who follow the financial markets in any way, shape, or form, will know that Michael Jordan was the head of FNB for many, many years until he retired to Stellenbosch, where all the rich guys live, um, and has got involved in all sorts of entrepreneurial ventures. But now, together with some really interesting people, they have announced that they are going to be um, launching a brand new fresh bank called Bank Zero. And uh, they're talking up all the new age stuff. They're saying, you know, we live in a digital only world with all these new apps and Facebooks and Instagram and all that sort of stuff. And they believe that banking is right for a, a real um, upending. And listen, it's actually a lot easier. If you start off fresh, you start off with the latest technology, you've got none of the old systems that you need to worry about, none of the heavy data centers that you need to build, and you start off fresh and clean using some of the latest technology, it's probably very, very I wouldn't say easy, but certainly a lot more simple to set up a banking platform that is essentially um, low cost, very responsive and pretty advantageous for, for customers. But as I say, I think it's a little early to know what they're actually going to get up to. But they say they're going to come up with a very competitive structure. And um, being small may give them the ability to be no, more nimble and a little bit more um, sort of responsive to our needs as customers. So it should be really interesting. There's no question that Capitec, um, who are the youngest of the big banks in the country, have grown enormously based on a very similar premise. They've been very fast, very fluid, very cheap, um, and very proactive in terms of offering services with no legacy of the big banks to to bring them down. So this bank is going to be based on a mutual type uh arrangement, which in simple terms means it's more of a savings and investment as well as a transactional bank. So it should be really interesting. Let's see um, Let's see what they come up with and let's see exactly where they go with all this. But um, it should be very interesting and it's always a good thing. Let me tell you, no matter whether you do change or don't change or whether you leave your home loan with one of the big guys and move across to Bank Zero for transactional purposes, 
who knows and who knows what services they're actually going to offer but I think it's great that they're bringing a fresh new sort of look at what needs to be done in banking in South Africa and um, we have a very sophisticated banking sort of system and environment highly regulated which is great in some ways unlike Bitcoin which is not so great we'll talk about that in a minute but anyway so look out for that it's called Bank Zero it's coming sometime towards the end of the year along with a whole lot of interesting new banks Discovery are launching their bank this year uh, should be very interesting because they've got a massive couple of million captive audience through the health and insurance business and now they're adding a full financial services suite whole ton of us have discovery cards in our pockets already so be very interesting to see what they get up to um, and uh, they're also saying they're going to up in the banking environment and challenge the the uh, sort of status quo and there are two other little banks which is time digital which are offering a a sort of programmable credit card amongst other things and of course uh, let's see what where this plays out the post office bank is coming mainly so that they can distribute um, the social grants for SASA so it's going to be quite a banking year and it's actually very interesting how technology has made this possible 10 years ago to start a bank was the capital needed to simply create the platforms to do the banking would have been tens if not hundreds of millions of rands. And then the platforms for the ATMs and everything else that you needed was just enormously expensive. But in the digital age in which we leave, where it's all going contactless and tap to pay and everything's available on your phone and, you know, it's all digital, um, to set up a system is really simple, quick, and pretty easy. So good luck to these banks. Let's hope they bring... Uh, offerings and convenience that we haven't seen and certainly a little bit more responsiveness um, that we haven't seen in the last little couple of years and uh, we watch this and knowing Michael Jordan having met him many on many occasions through the the tech industry he is extremely tech focused and he certainly does understand what needs to be done in the banking environment so it should be quite interesting going forward and we'll be back with some more news straight after this. Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose, 11 to 12 p.m., only on 101.9 IFM. Well, welcome back. And uh, this is going to be a very, well, the next couple of weeks are going to be certainly mobile-focused in many, many ways. But unfortunately, I wasn't in the country, but MTN had a launch on Monday of the first 5G trial in South Africa and pretty much in most of Africa. Um, and in partnership with their, with their networking equipment, Ericsson, Ericsson, one of the largest networking companies or mobile networking companies in the world, and um, they launched an actual working trial of 5G in South Africa. And hopefully they will be, I mean, 5G is one of those technologies, something you're going to hear about. You haven't, most of us haven't even got used to the capabilities of what 4G can do, but more about that later. But the bottom line is that there's no question by 2020, 5G will be sort of the high end of mobile standards across the world. And within a couple of years after that, it will become the de facto way that you use your mobile phone. So it doesn't change things much from a, a the point of view of what we currently do with our phones. But what it does do, it sets the stage for the next evolution, the next development um, in 5G going forward. So I think we're going to see some massive changes coming. And it's really, really interesting to see that the mobile uh, operators, Vodacom have been working with um, 
uh, with Nokia, Nokia Networks, not Nokia the handset people, although they're sort of affiliated, but Nokia Networks on, on a very similar sort of platform and a very similar sort of rollout over the next little while. So we're going to see a lot of changes in the space. We're going to see a lot of talk about 5G and what it does. But simply put, the numbers spoke for themselves. Their trial, what they demonstrated, were download speeds of more than 20 gigabytes, gigabits, not bytes. Got to be careful. There might be an odd techie listening. Um, more than 20 gigabits per second with a latency, and that is the time the signal takes to get to the server and back from your phone to the server or from your device to the server and back of less than 5 milliseconds. Now, to put that into context, right now on a really high-end device in perfect conditions, if you're really close to a um, base station, you may, in without all the trial stuff, you may get 60, 70, 80. I've seen 110 megabits per second um, speeds up and down with an average latency between 20 and 50 milliseconds. Now, what that means from the time you initiate the signal to the time you get something back from the server, it takes between 20 and 50 milliseconds, Um, whereas the latest 5G trials were showing an order, more than an order of magnitude speed increase to 20 gigabits, which is more than 10 times. 10 times what's current would be 10. We're talking about 200, per, 200 times that um, with a, a latency of around about 5 milliseconds, which is unbelievable. And the benefit of this is not simply that you'll be able to download web pages and other stuff even quicker or upload your YouTube videos even faster, which you will be able to do. It simply means that the new technology allows massive capacity, and it's as simple as this. You've got a base station, 100 people near, live near the base station. The base station has a certain capacity, call it 100. You've got 100 people living near there. Each one's trying to access the Internet, do stuff. Each one will get a share of that 100 megabits per second, and you'll all land up with an effective throughput of one megabit per second, which is okay for web pages, for email, for bits and pieces, but in no ways is that the capacity of the network. Now, you go to a 5G base station for exactly the same base station. You, instead of talking about 100 megabits per second, you're talking about 20 gigabits per second. And if you've got the same 100 people accessing the network at the same time, I'm not going to do the maths now, but you're talking round about 1 to 2 gigabits of speed per handset for the same density. So it allows two things. One, everybody will have a far better experience in the normal course of things. And it will enable the ability to connect hundreds, if not thousands, more people, things, fridges and TVs, something we'll talk about in a minute, to the network um, at the same time. So it's not about speed. Everyone's going to be talking about 5G, how fast it is and all that stuff, which for most of us is pretty meaningless until you really need to stream 8K video, which is an absolute must onto a six-inch screen, which makes zero sense in any event. But that's another story for another day. But the whole benefit of 5G is to enable the next thing that's coming, the whole internet of things, the connected everything. I mean, Back in the early 2000s to 2010, the average home had four devices connected to the Internet at any point in time. There was a computer in the house, maybe a laptop, uh, maybe one or two phones, and that was it, or a game console. So two to five at the most. There was an average of four connections per home. Roll forward five, six years. By 2015, 2016, the average home has anything between 10 and 20 
devices connected to the internet. And you just simply got to add it up. Family of four, four people, four cell phones, that's four. All four of them have got their own individual computers. That's eight. Uh, probably two of them have got tablets. That's ten. Then you've got the TV. You've got the Xbox. You've got two TVs, let's say. Before you know it, there's 13 different things connected. Then you've got a smartwatch. You know, it, it's just endless. If you start looking at the number of items that are in the average sort of tech-savvy home today, you can have anything between 10 and 20 devices connected. And back in the day when you had a 4 megabit per second ADSL connection, having four connections simultaneously gave you a megabit per connection, which was acceptable. You could do some browsing, you could do some email, you could even watch the odd YouTube video, and everyone was happy. When you've got 13 to 20 people all trying to do the same thing, uh, for whatever reason, downloading updates, suddenly four megabits per second becomes a complete bottleneck, and 100 megabit per second fiber starts becoming more the norm. And that's exactly where we are now. So rolling forward to 5G, which is looks like by 2019 2020 which is only scarily a year away by 2020 with 5g networks rolling out um, we are going to see the capacity of the networks growing exponentially and the ability to connect ever more bits and pieces and equipment and you name it whatever it is traffic lights and ostriches whatever's connected with a, a, a sim to the network uh, in a way that allows massive amounts of da- data to be transferred at speeds that would just blow you away, no matter how many people connect. So looking forward to that. MTN did highlight a couple of issues we have, and hopefully our new gentleman will sort that out. Obviously, you need spectrum for it. 5G is a mono technology, which means multiple input, multiple output. In other words, it doesn't simply use one antenna, one frequency, one radio. It uses multiple frequencies, multiple radios, multiple antennas, and combines all of that to get those massive speeds. Because otherwise, you need huge amount of spectrum in an area where there isn't a lot of spectrum. And that's another thing we're going to hear a lot about over the next couple of years. How are they going to divvy up the spectrum? South Africa's done some interesting stuff. I've spoken about it regarding the WOAN, which is the sort of government set up but privately owned single network which everyone can share. Don't know if that's ever going to take off, but let's watch this space. But there's a lot between now and then, but there's no time. Literally, by 2020, the world will be rolling out 5G. Japan has said that by 2020, there will be a full 5G network in the whole of Japan for the Olympics. Whether the devices will be ready, um, that's another story, but it looks more and more likely that by this year, towards the end of this year, we will get 5G mobile devices as well. And on that note, uh, we're going to take another quick ad break before I get back with my full update of CES. with Stephen Ambrose. Hi there and welcome back. And now comes the part where I have to pick and choose what I tell you about, what I saw, what I did. Um, and what happens in Vegas definitely does not stay in Vegas. I'm bringing it all back with me. Um, all the interesting gadgets and gizmos. There were no casinos. There were no uh, uh, clubs in the night. It was just an entirely you know, tech-focused look into the future. And the buzzwords were just a abounding there there was just buzzword heaven well that's technology for you it's a, it's a, you know just buzzword heaven but the big buzzwords the big things that were discussed endlessly across the floor doesn't matter whether you're talking to some little startup some little app developer all the way up to the LG Samsungs and the big guys of the world was 5G 
A-I-I-O-T-A-R, um, which is augmented reality, and virtual reality, which, interestingly enough, was not such a big deal um, of all the, you know, it's always been a big deal, but this year has been, took a real backseat to all sorts of other things. But certainly they were the the things that everyone was talking about um, and the the sort of technologies that everyone was showcasing. And, I mean, there were more than 3,900 exhibitors on the show floor. And, in fact, um, this was without question the largest CES that I've ever been to. Uh, it was a very interesting scenario. Uh, on the first day or the day before CES started, um, Las Vegas, for the first time in 160 days, Cape Town thinks they've got problems, but, well, they do. At least there is some water in Las Vegas. But uh, they had massive rainstorms in the desert in Las Vegas. And, in fact, it was so bad on the opening day of uh, CES that the Google stand collapsed and there was water leaking through the roof everywhere because they don't actually have rain there. I mean, twice or three times a year, never in quantities like that. So despite everything, um, there were just huge challenges around rainstorms. And then, I don't know if it was a consequence of the rainstorm, but uh, the power went out on the first day. And for two to three hours, the whole of the main show area had no power. Can you imagine a tech show with no power? So it was quite an interesting um, start to CES. But in any event, uh, 2.75 million square feet of exhibit stands. And it was just unbelievable. Um, And the tweets and the social media, it was just, it was unbelievable. Almost unimaginable, the sheer scale of a place like that. And I mean, just one of you can never, not in a million years, see everything. So I had to cherry pick. I had to spend a little bit of time in the main halls, in the little side uh, ventures. I spent quite a bit of time in the, the startup and the maker section where all the, interestingly, France had a huge startup section along with a lot of other countries where they were trying to promote all their tech. And I mean, that just gave a a massive glimpse into what was going on and all the innovations and everything that was happening. But um, it was quite something. But digital health, as I said, well, no, digital health was a big deal, but very different, not wearables, which is quite interesting. You know, in the past few years, we've talked a lot about wearables, wristwatches, you know, activity trackers but digital health was much more than that they were talking there was a ton of people talking about how to improve your sleep sleep training sleep monitors um ways to you know clear the air (laughs) a huge amount of of technology around that all obviously using augmented reality um all using some form of uh, ai or yeah, I, I think we've got to be very careful about this whole artificial intelligence thing. I think it was way overhyped, and it just sounds so cool. Oh, yes, our new app uses AI. Well, what it actually simply means, it's not artificial intelligence, not by quite a few decades. I would reckon we're two to three decades away from true you know, um, artificial intelligence where you've got sort of self-aware machines that do stuff totally autonomously of the original programming. These are all very very advanced programming algorithms which 
mimic intelligence to some extent within a very limited frame or a very limited way um, to offer a far better product than we've ever been able to. And that's part of what else was going on at CES. Intel, um, right next door Qualcomm, right next door uh, a whole host of other exhibitors were showing off their latest chipsets, their latest advances in chips and in um, the bits and pieces that go inside our various gizmos and gadgets. I mean, Qualcomm are well known for their Snapdragon chips that are pretty much in a whole host of uh, phones across the world. But Qualcomm were highlighting a lot more than that. They were showing little chips that fit into headphones. Um, So you can get these true wireless headphones with little chips inside, which extend not only the quality of the headphone, uh, but its Bluetooth ability. It also gives you double or quadruple the battery life simply by being much more efficient. Again, they were saying using AI programming um, in it. But obviously, the more powerful the chips become, the more powerful the processors become, the more uh, you're able to see the technologies that make sense. So, for example, um, if you the first press conference that I went to was LG, and um, that was on the press day last week, Monday. And although they obviously showcased all their latest gizmos and gadgets, not a whole host of brand new stuff was shown. But what they did do is that they've now added, this is the other thing that was absolutely Everywhere Google had taken over CES. Wherever you want, we went. There were white people in, in, in. Well, when I say white people, I mean people in white, not white people. I've got to be very careful. It's a family radio station, but there were people in white overalls of all hues, um, wandering around with Google Assistant, off, offering to help show you how it works, how it worked on your smartphone. But that, together with the other you know, elephant in the room, Alexa, which is the Amazon-led smart assistant, uh, pretty much was available in every single device that you could conceive of, from washing machines to cars to tumble dryers to phones to headphones, you name it. All these things had some form of of assistant. And the benefit of having uh, these things or these assistants certainly was very apparent in a place like America where the latency Getting back to that, right now in South Africa, if you say, hey, Siri, or okay, Google, or hey, Alexa, whoops, my phone just listened to me, it tends to be quite a slow process. So when you say, um, hi, Alexa, it takes a few noticeable milliseconds before you get an answer. Well, surprisingly, well, not surprisingly, in the U.S. where the network speeds are really high and the servers are really local, so you're talking about very quick response times, it was pretty incredible. It was actually quicker to speak to your phone and ask for Google. Navigate me to so-and-so. What about this? Whatever you wanted to ask, it gave you answers instantly, which is pretty which is pretty uh, insane. But anyway, back to uh, what Google was doing. Um, they were pretty much everywhere. Uh, LG have launched a whole new range of connected home devices. Their the OLED TVs, which were, again, the buzz of the show, certainly some of the best product, the best TV products of the show, um, have all been enhanced with far more powerful processors. Here yeah, we're back to processors, um, which enables... Similar panels, so the picture hasn't changed much from 2017 to 2018, but by ramping up the smart AI-enabled processor, of course, uh, in the TV, they're promising better colors, better processing, better noise reduction. So if you've got a poor signal that's perhaps not quite as crystal clear as 4K HDR, um, 
their processes can clean it up, make it look even better. And from what I could see, certainly did an amazing job. But apart from that, built in is Alexa or um, the Google Assistant. So you can talk to your TVs. And it was incredibly natural sitting there, chatting to them. It was pretty amazing how quickly and easily they responded to you. You don't even need to click on the remote. Just tell it to open stuff, and it's all integrated. Tell it what you want to watch on Netflix. It simply opens it up for you, and off it goes. What's interesting, you can also tell, hey, Alexa, turn on the dishwasher It's t- and, and, and wash. So everything was connected. Uh, Lenovo did quite a good job. Not Lenovo. LG, I'll get to Lenovo in a minute. LG did quite a good job of highlighting all these new things. They even showed off some of their robots. That was another little thing. Now, these are true robots. These are not the red, green, and yellow traffic lights that we all are accustomed to. These were proper, true assistant robots. Apparently, at uh, in Korea, at the airport, there's a whole host of LG assistants that roam around and help people in multiple languages. Should you be lost, you want to know anything, you don't have to go to information. Just walk up to one of their robots, speak to it in whatever language, and it answers you appropriately and gives you information. So, there's a huge, huge, huge growth in that, and a huge growth in in the sheer connectedness of this, back to 5G, back to high-speed internet. It's all starting to gel in quite an amazing way. And LG did tell me that a whole host of those connected appliances, connected home pieces with the hubs and everything are coming to South Africa in the next couple of months. We should see them all around about April, May. Not everything, but a good chunk, so we're starting to see it. But in America, certainly, I would say 80 to 90% of all appliances and sort of home equipment is now connected. So now we're back to where I said, you know, if there's 10 to 20 connected devices in the home, in the next couple of years, there's going to be 30 to 40 connected devices in the home. And everything will connect to everything for lots of good reasons. Hopefully, ESCOM gets really smart and allows us to run our washing machines and stuff in off-peak periods at a discount. Things like this are, are a real use of all the smart technology. The next big press release I went to was Samsung. Now, Samsung, as per usual, did the most amazing job of showing off all their new products. And Interestingly, though, there was actually nothing particularly new other than they maintain that within 18 months, every single one of their consumer products will be connected to itself, to the hub, to everything. They're also bringing Bigsby, which is their version of Hey Siri or whatever. Um, Oops, I shouldn't say that. My phone starts doing its thing again. Um, Or uh, Hi Alexa to everything that you can. However, they're also starting to offer um, Google Assistant as well on a whole host of their products. So it's going to be a bit of a toss-up between which virtual assistant wins, whether it's Google's, whether it's Amazon's. Microsoft, unfortunately, seemed to have faded away with their uh, their version. Um, but certainly the big three in, in, in the business at the moment is Siri, Alexa, and um, the Google Assistant. So, very, very interesting. But Samsung did show off some of their latest brand new TVs. They did have one sort of <clears throat> pre-release, which they called The Wall. Now, interestingly enough, we, we're in a world right now where 90% or a good chunk of TVs are liquid crystal displays, LCDs or LEDs, whichever way you want to put it. And the benefit of LCDs and LEDs is they're efficient, they're super cheap, they can be unbelievably bright, and certainly as um, Samsung have shown with their QLED range, the quality can be pretty exceptional. Sharp, clear, and unbelievably high resolution with 
with brightness and colors that are hard to match with any other technology. The thing is they're a backlight technology. However smart they get, however clever they become, the fact is there are lights at the back that shine through a panel and need to be manipulated that way. OLED, on the other hand, which um, LG were pushing really hard, and, and many partners, they're the only suppliers of massive OLED panels. Sony are using them. Tons of other guys are using them um, to great effect. There's no question OLED being an emissive technology. In other words, every dot on the screen, every single dot on the screen emits its own light. So you get true blacks because there's no reflection, no light coming from anywhere else. It's either on or off. Um, apart from that, you also get unbelievable sharpness. There's no blending. There's no panels or sort of technology to direct light in, in interesting ways. And the other benefit of OLED is that it can be unbelievably thin. LG was showing off a rollable TV. That really worked. You could roll the whole thing up um, and bend it in all sorts of ways. And because of the OLED panels on a flexible plastic background, it worked perfectly. So the day of getting a rolled-up TV, rolling it out, sticking it on your wall, is not real science fiction. It's around the corner. Maybe not really mainstream yet, but it's coming, and the sizes certainly are going up. Entry level now is 55-inch. That's really interesting, whereas it used to be about a 40-inch TV. TVs today, entry level is now a 55-inch at a price that you used to pay for a 40-inch. So anyway, back to where I was saying what um, Samsung have done. Samsung haven't in OLED panels, they've done amazing jobs for phones, but not for big TVs. And they've featured their QLED technology with their so-called nanotubes, which bring better color and better brightness. Well, they've developed a technology which is emissive using nanotubes. In other words, each nano dot on the screen emits its own light, just like um, OLED. But it has couple of advantages according to Samsung. One, it's inorganic. OLEDs are organic, so they have a life. They don't last forever. They don't. Um, they do fade with time. Um, according to uh, LG, that's we're talking about fifty thousand hours, which is around about ten years of use of a normal TV. But anyway. Um, non-organic materials like the nanotubes or the QLED nan nanotubes theoretically have a much longer lifespan. And they have one other benefit. They can go unbelievably bright. They can go two to three times brighter than the current crop of um, OLEDs. And they created what they called the wall. Now, this using this particular emissive technology, you get a whole lot of little square panels which you then can clip together to any size so you can fill your wall and as you clip them together the computer or that runs them blends them together into one screen i had a good look at it it is unbelievable technology the picture was incredibly bright incredibly sharp and of course we're now 4k is old school we're now talking about 8k technologies which is four times the resolution of the current 4K, which again is four times the resolution of the current HD. So you can see where this is all going. But they were showing off an 8K wall-sized TV, which you could simply click together um, and make it as big or as small as you want with unbelievable color, unbelievable brightness. The bad news is that I think they got it out at CES just because they wanted to show people what they're working on. I don't think we're going to see that technology for the next year or two at best. I think it's still very premature, although the results were spectacular. It's probably unbelievably expensive to produce and will not make sense to release commercially for the next couple of years until they do something with it. And who knows where OLED will be by then? It may well match the brightness of the nanotube-based QLED stuff from Samsung. So the jury's out, but right now I would say the winner of the 
the CS show was without question the 8K uh, OLED screen that was shown by um, LG without doubt. It looked like an absolute high-end photograph, resolution beyond anything, colors beyond anything you've ever seen, and true blacks, absolute pitch black where it needed to be. So from a TV point of view, I would say the winner of the CES show was definitely the LG OLED TVs. But Sony had some spectacular TVs. They were also showing off an 8K massive brightness TV, um, which was pretty unbelievable. Again, difficult to see in the in the context of a massive show with a thousand people in front of you. But there's no question that TVs are going to get bigger, they're going to get brighter, and they're going to stay pretty much the same price as they are today. I mean, the, the best TV you want is always going to cost a lot of money, but certainly the trickle-down, the sort of 10,000 to 20,000 Rand for a big screen TV, the quality is exponentially better than it was a couple of years ago and we're definitely entering the golden age of high quality high definition tvs and we're going to see them from all the manufacturers in the next little while i mean hisense were there on mass showing off their their laser tvs 100 to 150 inch laser tvs which was pretty spectacular at prices that are really really affordable considering the size and the quality so there's no doubt that, yes, dominated by the Samsungs, the Sonys, and the LGs of this world, but the other guys have come a long way and are offering unbelievable quality at incredibly good prices, um, you know, and available right now in South Africa pretty much anywhere. So now moving on, I can see I'm going on a bit about these TVs, but I saw so many other things. For example, um, Lenovo launched a whole new range of products. Um, they had a great little sort of stand in a restaurant there. And one of the coolest things that they did was something called the Google Assistant Infused Smart Display. Now, essentially what it looks like is a simple little tablet, um, 8 inch and 10 inch, which you plonk down in your lounge. It's slightly waterproof. Um, you plonk it down in your kitchen and it gives you a full hands-free Google Assistant or Alexa-based, um, you, you, you decide which one you want to use. Um, and it, it really works amazingly well. You sit down there, you can talk to it, it gives you calendar updates, weather, traffic. Obviously, they built that into a whole host of fridges from the various manufacturers. But it also uh, was all powered by Qualcomm back to Qualcomm. They were really driving the technology. Um, their home hub platform. So it's based on one of their chipsets. It's Wi-Fi, Bluetooth enabled. It connects all the various devices in your home, brings it all together, allows you to keep it all connected and working. Um, and there was a ton of that. But that was just an incredibly cool product. It was uh, Lenovo displayed it and uh, I played with it. It worked extremely, extremely well. And it's hopefully something we're going to see in, in South Africa. And we'll be back, or I'll be back um, straight after this quick ad break with some more news and information from CES. Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose, 11 to 12 p.m., only on 101.9 IFM. Well, welcome back. And um, I'm just trying to condense all the stuff I saw into some sort of coherent hole here because we are running out of time really quickly. But just back to what Lenovo were up to. One of the other things that uh, I saw from quite a lot of manufacturers, HP, Lenovo, Dell, you name it, um, Asus certainly, was the brand new laptops 
or connected PCs as they call them, based on Qualcomm Snapdragon 835 mobile PC platform, which is really, really interesting. All the newer high-end phones, including the Samsungs and you name it, the Sonys, are all using a Qualcomm 835 chipset. In other words, um, a standard mobile chipset, which is always on, gives you massive battery life, has now been built into a normal standard looking laptop but the benefits are multifold one it's so quiet and so cool and so uh, energy efficient that they give between 20 and 30 hours of working time um, from a laptop now just put that into perspective right now the best intel chip on the best laptop can give you somewhere between 10 and 15 Maybe you can push it to 20 hours if you switch off all sorts of things. So we're talking about double the life of the standard PC that you use to or laptop that you use to today. In addition, and this is where it gets really, really smart, it is always on. So basically, because it's a mobile chipset, it's got a modem built in. So it's got LTE or 3G or whatever you want, standard and built into the laptop. And it stays awake all the time. So when you open your laptop, it comes on instantly, like a, like you expect with a mobile phone, and all your emails, your tweets, your Facebook messages, whatever, your messenger, doesn't matter what it is, are there waiting for you. You don't have to connect to the internet. You don't have to push send and receive. You don't have to do anything. The stuff is just waiting there always, and to boot, you can go at least two days without charging. Now, Considering the average use of a laptop, unless it's on your desk and you're using a 24 by 7, but, a, but generally you can go two, three, maybe even four days with a laptop without even worrying about a charger. Certainly can watch a movie on a 14-hour transatlantic um, flight with no problem. So huge, huge benefit in terms of um, just the sheer convenience of not worrying about battery the other thing that um, this uh, snapdragon 835 based windows pc offers is that they're incredibly thin there are no fans so there's no noise um, they're very slim um, and very petite and the ones i saw from lenovo come with a pen built in um, a little keyboard and a little bit of extra battery so it's detachable it's either a tablet or a pc and i was suitably impressed by the mix 630 it was the quality was excellent the keyboard is traditional great quality from um lenovo and i I played with the hp version i played with the dell version it's just i think really quite an interesting evolution i'd love to see what intel are going to do to compete i'm sure they will but the fact is right now if you're looking for a new tablet pc with ultra long battery life super performance i mean there was absolutely no compromise in performance full windows it runs every program that you can have on windows it's totally compatible with anything that windows can work with i think there's some old legacy programs that need to work with x86 chipsets that may or may not but we're talking about really old stuff so for the old for guys who work with legacy DOS-based programs, perhaps this is not for you. But anyone who has a modern PC with Office and you name it on it, these things work unbelievably well. So look out for that. That's another huge trend you're going to see. You're going to see ultra-light, ultra-slim, well-priced, Qualcomm-based PCs um, with 20 to 30 hours battery life with always-on connectivity. Obviously, you have to put in a SIM card, has Wi-Fi and all the usual stuff. But 
Even so, um, really very, very interesting. Lenovo also updated a whole host of other products. One of the coolest things I played with um, was a instant camera that plugs on the back of one of the Motorola phones, which is part of Lenovo. And that was great fun. Um, you simply plug this little thing on and print your take pictures and print them straight away. A couple of guys have tried it. HP have done it as well. But this is so convenient because it's an add-on to your existing phone. And I'm sure we're going to see that in South Africa with the new Moto G and the uh, the Moto phones that are released here. And it fits all the current ones. So um, I didn't bring one back. It wasn't available yet. They said April. So maybe it'll hit the market. Maybe it won't. But the good thing is they are really trying to be super innovative and come up with a whole host of interesting stuff. Dell, on the other hand, also had an incredible stand. It was really interesting to see all their new product and they've certainly come a long way they're certainly pushing the high end in a big way and they launched at the show a brand new dell xps 13 i reviewed it on the show a couple of weeks ago can you believe it i review something and they promptly replace it but they've brought out a brand new xps 13 which is 30 percent lighter 10% smaller and I think 50% faster than the current model with without question the best quality screen I have seen on a laptop to date. Obviously they were showcasing their highest end, comes in different models, but using the late, latest 8th generation Intel processor up to 15 hours of battery life which is not too shabby and certainly the power of a Core i7 so it can really crunch numbers and do stuff beyond anything you'd ever want in an incredibly slim, light and beautifully finished titanium backed product. So Dell, watch out for Dell this year. I think they've got some really interesting product on the show. They showed off some of their gaming product. They showed off their screens. They've got some amazing, amazing new um, new product. So before uh, I finish, I mean, I can carry on about tons and tons of things. But I think I just want to wrap up with the sort of big um, the big trends that are, are going to certainly dominate for the next year. Um, one and probably the biggest one is the whole convertible tablets laptop thing. Everybody was show showcasing a, a convertible tablet laptop. Tablets, the sales have dropped dramatically, but no question that a convertible tablet, in other words, one that clicks into a keyboard, gives you the ability to either use it as a tablet or as a full-on PC or laptop, is certainly a huge trend. The next trend, something that's probably going to take a few more years to come fully to South Africa simply because of the way we build our homes, the way that we work, and the rollout of fiber is not universal, even though it's getting better and better and better, is the smart home devices. Everything has Alexa built in. Everything has um, Google Home or Apple HomeKit. Everything is connected from your washing machine to your fridge to your microwave to your heater, you know, your air conditioner, you name it. They're all connected. They all have apps. They all have home hubs. They all connect to each other and talk to each other, which is a big thing. Augmented reality is certainly the next big thing. It's becoming quite a big deal because augmented reality, unlike virtual reality, doesn't put you in, a, in, a, in another place. It simply overlays what is actually happening with an additional layer of information, fun, you name it. So for gaming, it adds characters to the real world. For science and for technology and for working, it gives you information. Um, you can wear a set of glasses, go to a museum. As you look at a picture, it'll overlay everything to do with that picture into your vision, onto your screen, wherever. So augmented reality is certainly a technology I think we're going to see a huge growth in. The other thing that was really a big deal is companion robots. You know, like in science fiction, we used to have um, 
companion robots helping you, that is a real thing. There's lots of them there, apart from the ones that vacuum your floor and clean your carpets. Um, but they're ones that can actually help you sing you happy birthday. There was a whole host of those doing that. Um, really, a lot of, they call it AI assistance, but smart machines that really help humans. The other thing that we're going to see is there's going to be a laptop and mobile handset chip all coming this year there are a huge between huawei with their kirin series their 970 with ai built in um apple with their uh bionic chip the a11 with sort of smart ai built in and now our friends at amd intel nvidia you name it qualcomm all heading towards super powerful super fast chips as i said the smarter the chips the more powerful they are the cheaper they become the more they land up in everything from shoes there were even smart shoes i cannot even begin to tell you and artificial intelligence call it what you want smart machines smart algorithms you name it is in everything every tv's got it every washing machine's got it every light has got it you can't believe it everything you saw had ai built in and as i said health was huge it's all about health sensors not wearables a lot of them are wearables Um, a lot of them you can strap to your wrist you can put in your bicep whatever it is that you want but there is no question that health sensors sensors that monitor your health i mean there were special toilets there that um, when you go to the loo it monitors what's going on and lets you know if your sugar's too high or if there's a problem metabolically with whatever you're doing now that is a whole another universe but um, certainly health and technology are a huge thing sleep seems to be a big deal everyone i went to offered ways to improve your sleep improve your health sleep seems to be a huge area around it from smart mattresses to smart sensors to devices that emit alpha waves or something that improve your sleep sleep certainly seems to be a big deal at uh, in America and at CES. And yet a lot of them, I'm going to try a couple of the apps. They gave me a couple of demos of certain platforms and systems. And let's see if I land up sleeping better and feeling better. The other thing that is pulling it all together, really, and I haven't even touched on cars, but we'll get to that probably in another show, is 5G technology. The technology of ultra-high capacity, ultra-high-speed mobile broadband connectivity cannot begin to be underestimated towards the end of february next month is world mobile congress where all the mobile guys get together um, and that should be absolutely fascinating because all the big players in this space in terms of the manufacture and all the systems that create 5g the the nokia's the huawei's the uh, zte's and the uh, ericsson's of this world will be there showing off their fastest latest uh, 5g technology but don't underestimated as much as fiber to the home is really a big deal and is changing a lot of things having ultra high speed ultra high capacity mobile technology will certainly enable the new ecosystem of connected everything um, over the next couple of years and we're not talking about science fiction we're not talking about stuff in five ten years we're talking about in a year or two um, everything you buy will connect You plug it in, it'll connect to something, your home, the internet, the manufacturer, you name it. And that's part of what is going on around the whole smarter car. As I said, the mobile guys were showing off the most advanced technologies I've ever seen in a car. In fact, pretty much anywhere. We're talking about autonomous 
devices. Toyota was showing off a, a vehicle that can become anything from a hospital to a little manufacturing point to a retail shop. So you shop online, you choose our range of products. The company dispatches a car to your house where you can try on all the things that you wanted. And when you buy, you walk out, it's paid for. It's all connected and whatever. Um, and that's like the next evolution in terms of online shopping. And that particular little delivery vehicle is not just a delivery vehicle. It's a mobile showroom. And that's all, And it's totally autonomous. No people involved. It arrives. You do your little shopping. You walk out as long as you've got your smartphone with you. It charges your account and off you go. So smarter cars are becoming a huge thing. Um, every car already has multiple computers built in. But it's taken it to the next level with Alexa and Google Assistant, so you'll talk to your car, it'll come and fetch you, it'll do stuff that you cannot even begin to understand. And that's part of the whole smarter city thing. So we are definitely seeing a huge, huge growth in connected everything that you wouldn't even begin to understand right now, from your cars to everything that you interact with, to cities that get smart. So if you're driving down the road, your car's smart, the city's smart, the traffic lights are smart, there's no other traffic on the road, you won't have to stop at the traffic lights. They will instantly recognize that you're the only car heading in that direction. Why should you slow down? All the traffic lights will go green in order to allow you to go through. In Johannesburg, that means very little. All traffic lights, whether they're red or green or green, people just do what they want. But the fact is, imagine a city that was that smart, that, that actually enabled the flow of traffic rather than made it into a grid. It would also then analyze the amount of cars heading in a direction and change the flow of traffic in order to facilitate um, you getting home rather than getting stuck at a traffic light while two cars go through. So all this type of stuff was demonstrated. It's all there. It's all real. And it's all coming to uh, a traffic light near you or a robot. We can't call them robots anymore because real robots are coming into your home. They're cleaning your floor. They're helping the elderly. They're singing happy birthday. You cannot even begin to imagine um, what's going on. So on that note, I can see that we are pretty much running out of time. I'm not even going to start on to the next thing. But I actually have to give one quick shout out to one company that made a huge difference to me traveling in the U.S. I've mentioned them before. And if you're traveling anywhere in the world, it's certainly well worth trying. It's a company called No Roaming, No Roaming. And you can find them at all the iStores in South Africa, amongst other places. And what it simply is, is a roaming SIM. You stick it on your current SIM. You download the app. It's prepaid international roaming. And as you land, wherever you land, it switches across to the network. In the U.S., I was on AT&T 4G, wherever I went. And it worked absolutely seamlessly. And the pricing not as cheap as getting a local SIM, no question, but certainly uh, close and orders of magnitude cheaper than roaming. So if you are still roaming in South Africa or if you still take your SIM overseas in Rome for business or pleasure or whatever, you've got to be completely nuts because this system allows you to receive calls from South Africa. It allows you to make calls to South Africa and use data wherever you go at prices that are around about 90% less than roaming. So 
pretty much really cheap. So look out for it. It's called No Roaming. Um, thanks to them, I was fully connected and was able to tweet and Instagram and you name it from wherever I was in the U.S. with pretty great connectivity. They now offer 4G pretty much across the whole world. Certainly worked like a bomb in America. And um, on that note, uh, till next week where I'm going to actually do a bit of, I've got a couple of spokesmen I'm trying to get hold of to get some interviews, some smart car um trends uh, which I saw at CES which we'll discuss then. So until next week, this is Stephen Ambrose right here on High FM talking all the latest tech and gadgets and gizmos. Till then, cheers for now.